Thanks, Mike. Good afternoon. And if you are here for the first time this afternoon, it's really good to have you. Uh, my name's Simon. I'm one of the leaders here. Um, and as we spend time looking at God's Word this afternoon, we believe that He speaks to us. So let me pray again as we delve into what we've just read. Father, please, would you help us as we look at what you have to say? Please, would you give us listening ears? Please, would you help us to understand? And Father, please, would you help us to get a glimpse, a taste of this good news of the gospel? Amen. Well, does life sometimes feel like absolute and utter chaos? Not just busy, not just chaotic, not just lots going on, but when you take a step back and you just can't work out why it is that God would have your life as it is. Maybe you, you get a new job, only to find that the people or the thing that you wanted to work on or with is soon getting replaced. You go to a new place only to soon be moved on or the people that you wanted to be with move on. You feel like there's a constant resistance to who you are, to what you stand for. Maybe it feels like there's always something threatening your ability to want a God in work, at home, with friends. Maybe you felt like you go from one thing to another, job change, relationship breakdown, health issues, financial issues, and that last email in the inbox last week, or the most recent argument, that family news, is leaving you a bit hopeless. Does God really know what he's doing? Here's Richard Dawkins' answer. Richard Dawkins says, Some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. It's pretty hopeless. Now, hopefully, as we read and as we delve into the Bible this afternoon, we see pretty clearly there is hope. We're joining the second half of the book of Acts, and picking up in our series, The Unstoppable Gospel, the first half that we looked at earlier last year, it spreads this, uh, the spread of this good news about Jesus from Peter predominantly in uh, and around Jerusalem. We sang together, didn't we, the, our memory verse, which is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's Jesus' words, his charge to his followers at the time. And we see through the book of Acts that spreading of the gospel, just like we saw with the cogs, the, the news spreading out. And so as we look at chapter 13, chapter 13 and 14 of the book of Acts, we see Paul's first missionary journey. And there's moments, I'm sure, it would have felt like absolute chaos. In fact, pretty much from the word go for Paul, as he embarks on this journey, it is pretty tough going. So we're going to have a look at some of the shock factors 
Because it's not always plain sailing for Paul. So Paul and Barnabas leave Antioch with John Mark as well, one of Jesus' disciples. They presumably have this tour planned out. They go. They go out. They've got their locations ready. But after just one location in Cyprus, just before the reading that we read, we have verse 13, the first verse we read. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. It's pretty understated as we read through it. But what we've got to understand is that John was an ally in the gospel. He had set out on this missionary journey, and after just one place, he decides it's not for him anymore. John left them. In chapter 15, just a couple of chapters later, we hear he didn't want to continue the work anymore. We're not told why, but we can see from what goes on, it was draining It was emotionally tough. It was physically hard work. But you see, for Paul, it must have been really hard after just one location. John's thrown it in. And pretty much as soon as he possibly can, when they sail back to land off the island of Cyprus, they sail to Perga, he goes straight back to Antioch. And you can imagine Paul and Barnabas, ah, what's going on? God... Why have you let this happen? This is our first missionary journey after just one place. John's gone? A further discouragement to Paul would have been the response from the Jews to the message that he brought. As we look through chapters 13 and 14, we see the tour of the different places. You probably saw the headings as we read in the Red Bibles, the different places that they go to take the gospel. And as we look through There's a consistent pattern. Just have a look. Have the Bible open. Have a look down with me just at a few verses. Chapter 13, verse 45. It's the Jews who are jealous and instigate the abuse. Just read with me. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Chapter 14, verse 2. Just have a look down. It's the Jews who refused to believe in Iconium. It says, but the Jews who refused to believe were stirred up, sorry, stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Chapter 14, verse 19 says, in Lystra, it's the Jews that came and convinced the crowd to stone them. Chapter 14, verse 19 says, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. It would have been quite a shock for Paul and Barnabas that so many people vehemently opposed the gospel like that. But do you see what would have been particularly unsettling in each of those places? Their first port of call as they went to those places was to go and preach in the synagogue. And yet, did you see the pattern in each of those places? The people that showed the most resistance... It was the people that hurled threats, the people that wanted to stone, the people that expelled, it was the Jews. In fact, the opposition was so fierce, it had probably the biggest bearing on when and where they travelled. Paul and Barnabas had to keep moving so they didn't get stoned, killed. They just had to keep going, keep on taking that good news. 
See, the seriousness and horror of the persecution towards the gospel was so real. So for Paul and Barnabas, as they embark on that mission, going out, coming back, going to each of those places, there's a consistent pattern. Disappointment, discouragement and threat. But you see, Paul and Barnabas, they don't despair. You know what despair means? If you look it up in the Oxford Dictionary, it's the complete loss or absence of hope. That's sad. It's so sad. I wonder if you noticed as we read that quote from Richard Dawkins, that's what it is. Some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. It's hopeless, it's despair, it's a completely hopeless existence, an absence of hope. Maybe for you, there's a temptation to let doubt creep in. Maybe if you're a Christian, you're even tempted to, to doubt what God's doing. Maybe you're here this afternoon and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and, and life feels pretty hopeless at the moment. Are you losing hope of resolution in a relationship? Are you feeling hopeless about yourself? Have you lost hope in being satisfied in the things that you put your hand to in work, in your endeavours. Maybe this year it's just felt like one thing after another. It's difficult not to despair. Maybe you are seeking to live for Jesus, but you just can't see a good outcome. Or maybe you'd say your situation is a bit like Paul's. When it comes to the unstoppable gospel... It's all feeling pretty hopeless right now. You've had friends that have rejected any kind of conversation about Jesus. Maybe you've got family members that have just sat back and gone, well, I think there is just something wrong with her, with him. Maybe every attempt that you've made to invite someone along on a Sunday afternoon or to explore more, it feels like it's fallen flat. And at this point, it feels so disappointing and discouraging. Where are you closest to despair? Because inevitably there would have been moments for Paul and Barnabas on the road, on their journey. Despair would have been a temptation, but I think we see as we look at chapter 13 that Paul, he doesn't despair because he is convinced that God is in absolute control of this unstoppable mission. See the reading we read, um, it's Pisidian Antioch. We get the, the content of his sermon that he preached in the synagogue as a journeyman speaker. You'd assume he's got a pretty well-crafted talk that he might roll out more than once in various different places. I certainly like to think that he delivered a similar talk in different places that he went. But here's what's striking as we see, just in this reading, the content of presumably what he said elsewhere, but we don't see it elsewhere. Just have a look down with me. Look at verse 17. Read along with me and see what you notice. 
The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel, the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the saviour Jesus, as he promised. Do you see what Paul's stressing as he speaks? God is in complete control. God has brought the saviour Jesus just as he promised. In all sorts of adversity, opposition, discouragement, unfaithfulness, all along the way for the people of Israel... God's in absolute control. See, as Paul stands up in the synagogue in Pisidian Antioch, we get a glimpse of his theology, what he believes about God and what's going on. And look at verse 38. This is where, in his sermon, he looks in the eyes of the Pisidians. Have a look down, read with me. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Do you see, at that point he turns, he makes it personal to each person listening. The offer of forgiveness of sins is for you. And we've seen, as you see in Pisidia Antioch, as you see through chapter 13 and 14, it was met with resistance from many. But have a look at chapter 13, verse 43. Many believe. See later in chapter 14, repeatedly. Many believe. Because God is in complete control. While there's all sorts of things going on that might make it look like on the surface that this mission is not working, it's tough going, God is in control. And many believe it's an unstoppable gospel because he's an unstoppable God and he is in absolute control. You see, it it speaks all about God and what he's like, what goes on in this missionary journey. It's God's gospel. It's God who's in control. It's God who takes it out to many people. It's God who opens blind eyes that people come to accept and believe. It is all about God. But we can notice just a few things about Paul as we see how he operates under that God, trusting that God. There's a real resilience to how Paul operates. You see, if you read the full two chapters, he's abandoned by his friend. He keeps going. He's opposed by Elymas. He keeps going. He's threatened by many. He keeps going. He's chased. He keeps going. He's stoned. He keeps going. He's left for dead. He keeps going. He's got a real resilience. A real resilience that comes from knowing some will reject the message. 
Some will desert it. Some will oppose it. But ultimately that God is in control. We see that. He knows it. That's what he speaks of as he speaks his sermon. His theology is laid out for us to see. But while there will be discouragements all along the way, graciously, God will save lost people. It's his unstoppable mission in saving a people for himself. And look, for us, while our circumstances are are very different, we too are called to live and to speak for Jesus in light of this unstoppable gospel that is good news for all of us. If we trust in Jesus, we should have a resilience that comes from knowing people will reject, desert and oppose the gospel that we live and stand for. People will reject, desert and oppose the gospel that we seek to speak of. That's no surprise. No surprise to us at all. And it's certainly no surprise to God. Because he's in absolute control. That thing that seems to pose a real threat to the gospel in your life right now. That circumstance that's going on that seems to pose a real threat to gospel work today, tomorrow. That thing that you've read about going on in the evangelical world that seems to pose a threat to the gospel. It might have surprised you. It might have caught you on the back foot. It might have left you with questions. But God is in complete control and time and time again he uses these circumstances for his good for his glory and for lost people to come to know and trust in him paul's resilient he knows he knows there will be people who reject the gospel but he keeps going because he trusts in a god who's in complete control but as well we see there's a there's a tact to how Paul operates. There's a, there's a shrewdness in, in what he does. There's some care and tact to what Paul says and how he goes about his business. You see, as he stands up in the synagogue, he holds out the attractiveness of the gospel. Have a look at verse 38. It's attractive for all. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. He's confident of a good news message for all people it is good it is attractive and it is for all but look at verse 40 and 41 whilst it's good and it's for all it it comes with a warning see the second thing is a warning have a look down at verse 40 take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you look you scoffers wonder and perish for i'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. See the warning? Did you you notice how it's a warning? Take care that this doesn't happen to you, the prophet said. Take care that, that you aren't the disbelievers. You wouldn't believe even if someone told you. Don't reject the message. Don't disbelieve this news about Jesus, because there's a real consequence if you don't believe this news about Jesus. It's a warning. And here's the third thing we see in how Paul and Barnabas operate. Have a look down right to the bottom of the reading, verse 51. They, they know when to leave it. Look at verse 51. So they shook the dust off their feet 
as a warning to them, and they went on to Iconium. They, they moved on, they moved elsewhere. The verse above kind of shows us a good indicator why. They're expelled from the place they're in. But it is, it's using the word that Jesus used in Matthew 10. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave, them at, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Do you see what they do in their mission as they go around the towns? They, they make a conscious decision to move on from that place, from those people that will not welcome them, that will not listen to them to go elsewhere. They're literally expelled and so they'll go to another people. They'll shake the dust off their feet and they won't, they won't stop. They'll keep going. And so they concentrate their time elsewhere. See, as we seek to hold out this unstoppable gospel as a people of town church, we can learn something of Paul's tactics here. As we think of our friends, our family, our neighbours, our teammates, our colleagues, we can say those three things. We can say, I am utterly convinced that the gospel message is good news for all people. It is the best thing for you. I'm convinced of it. I've got confidence in it. I have no shame in it. And I want to make that clear to every single person that I come across in life in the different places that I'm called to be in Bicester and around. I'm utterly convinced of this good news. And at the same time, like Paul, I'm utterly convinced that the gospel message comes with a warning. And actually, I'm convicted to make it clear to the people I I love, that I've got relationship with, to those that I'm spending time with, that it really matters. I want to warn them, don't be a disbeliever. And at the same time, like Paul, there will be a point at which I concentrate my gospel efforts elsewhere, where I hold out the unstoppable gospel to others. A point at which I shake the dust off my feet. I think it's worth saying, as as we think about that, To some degree, that's pretty self-selecting. Do you notice the verse before, 51, shake the dust off your feet? They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. Do you see, Paul and Barnabas, they didn't make a decision, ah, you know what, it's actually really hard to talk about Jesus, let's just sack it and go somewhere else. They They didn't just go, ah, we spent a bit of time here and we're not getting very far, let's go somewhere else. It was a decision to say we can confidently say there is zero progress in the gospel and so we're called to go elsewhere with it. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never got anywhere close to being stoned for the gospel. Not even that close to being rejected properly, told to go away. Probably the closest is where a friend has told me, look, Simon, Sai actually, Sai, I I don't want to talk about your God stuff anymore. And it's at that moment where you have a conversation, you you have that moment where those three things we've talked about, they come together. I did say, look, I'm convinced it's true. And it is good news for you. And Sam, this guy... I'm convinced 
you should be warned that if you continue to reject it, you will face God. I'm convinced I have to tell you. But Sam, I won't keep pursuing you with this same conversation. You know I want to talk about it. You know I'm desperate for you to know all about it, but you don't want to. And you can come back to me when you're ready, if you're ready. That's a conversation I've had once, twice, ever. But at a moment you shake the dust off your feet, you go elsewhere, you say, I'm going to be, I'm not going to be perturbed by it, I'm not going to be put off by speaking of the gospel. I know, just like Paul, that people will reject it, oppose it, won't listen to it. See, as we look at the first, well, these chapters 13 and 14, we see what Paul and Barnabas do on this first missionary journey. There's no doubt there would have been moments, you can just imagine them, they look at each other and go, this is absolute carnage, what's going, where are we? But Paul's theology, we see as he, as he preaches and what he says, he's convinced that God is in absolute control. He is at work in the ups and downs of life to save a people for himself. Paul's experience goes hand in hand with that as we see through these chapters. God is at work to save lost people. In all that goes on, there are people, many people turning to believe because it's an unstoppable gospel. He's an unstoppable God. We see this sentence through the book of Acts. The word of God continued to flourish and spread. People will go, people will go on being saved. We live in a different place, in different circumstances, but we have the same God and the same gospel. God is still at work to save a lost people for himself. I wonder in the places that you're called to live for Jesus, in the places that you're called to speak of Jesus, will you rely on him when it's tough? When it's tough going to stand tall for Jesus... Will you be resilient because of God? Because of what he's done for you? Will you trust that he's in absolute control? Will you cling to him? Will you rely on him? We're going to sing in a minute about our only hope in life and death, the reason that we don't need to despair, the reason that it's not hopeless as we seek to live for Jesus in a, in a world that says it's a load of rubbish. As Paul said, God has brought this Saviour Jesus just as he promised. So let's sing of Christ our hope in life and death.